0: In December of 2019, President Trump signed into law the Secure Act and a series of tax extenders. The law has some significant provisions that you should be aware of, and I will highlight what I believe to be the most pertinent to taxpayers. Welcome to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is Jeff Skolnick and I'm a CPA with 35 years of experience working with small business owners, entrepreneurs and network marketers on how to make their business more successful by understanding how taxes can work in their favor and not hurt their business. Each and every week I'm going to come to you with short, quick and helpful tips on not only how to make sure you are doing everything possible to minimize your income tax liability, but also how to create the income for your business that you truly deserve. As I mentioned in the opening, in December of 2019, President Trump signed into law the SECURE Act and a series of tax extenders. The law has some significant provisions that you should be aware of and I will highlight what I believe to be the most pertinent to taxpayers. The following provisions were each disallowed after 2017 but have been reinstated retroactively to 2018 and forward through 2020 by the SECURE Act. The importance of this Is that if any of these provisions would have helped your 2018 income tax return you have the ability to go back and amend that return again you can also use these same provisions in 2019 and in 2020 the first exclusion that I want to discuss is the exclusion from income for discharge from qualified principal residence debt and what happens here is if you have a mortgage and any of the mortgage was forgiven by a bank technically, that would normally be income. In other words, discharge of debt is considered taxable income unless there is an exception in the law. Now, prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, again, that's the act that was passed in December of 2017 and pretty much went into effect in 2018, taxpayers were permitted to exclude discharge of debt from qualified principal um, residence debt from gross income. Now, the exclusion is allowable for up to $2 million of mortgage debt, $1 million of married filing separately. The second provision I want to talk about that was extended is the deduction for mortgage insurance premiums. Now, as many of you know, uh, if you obtain a mortgage and um, you don't meet certain criteria, sometimes the bank will make you pay mortgage insurance premiums. Now, again, up until the end of 2017, these were deductible. They were knocked out after 2017. However, the deduction has been extended again retroactively to 2018 and through 2020. And the d- deduction, this is important to realize, has a phase out for taxpayers with an adjusted gross income of over $100,000. So, between $100,000 and $110,000, the deduction phases out. So, once you hit $110,000, you'll get no part of the deduction. If you're married filing separately, the deduction phases out between fifty dollars and $55,000. Medical expense deduction, subject to 7.5% of adjusted gross income, is extended for 19 and 20, and again back to 18. And again, as most of you know, in 2017 when the law was passed actually for 2018 medical expenses um threshold stayed at 7.5 percent what i mean by that is the law reads that before you can start taking medical expenses as an itemized deduction they must exceed seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income so if your adjusted gross income was two hundred thousand dollars you would not be able to take any medical expenses until you exceeded $15,000. However, if your medical expense, if your adjusted gross income was $50,000, that 7.5% would be $3,750, which would be much more palatable. But the way the law was written previously was in 2019, this number was supposed to jump to 10%, making it more difficult to deduct medical expenses. Uh, again, the law has been changed, and for 2019 and 2020, we will use the same 7.5% of adjusted gross income for medical expenses that have been used for some prior years. Qualified tuition and fees deduction. The above-the-line deduction for qualified tuition fees has been restored. This deduction, which occurs above the AGI line on your return, meaning you benefit whether you itemize deductions or not, can be as high as $4,000 for taxpayers whose adjusted gross income, AGI, does not exceed $65,000 or $130,000 for joint filers, or it will be $2,000 for taxpayers whose AGI does not exceed $80,000 or $160,000 for joint filers. If AGI exceeds the $80,000 or $160,000 threshold, then no deduction is allowed. But again, that's back in place. Back in place for 2018, 2019, and 2020. Now, I want to go over um, some of the other things that were put in here. Changes to the kiddie tax. Prior to 2018, children with unearned income of more than $2,200 that were under age 18 at year end were 18 but didn't have earned income that was more than half their support or were full-time students between the ages of 19 and 23 were subject to the kiddie tax additional conditions were at least one of the parents was alive at the end of the tax year and they were required to file an income tax return that was not a joint return now again this is not a provision that was extended this is something that was changed in the secure act first what i want to do is explain what unearned income is unearned income is defined In IRS Publication 929, as unearned income is generally all income other than salaries, wages, and other amounts received as pay for work actually performed. It includes taxable interest, dividends, capital gains, including capital gain distributions, the taxable part of Social Security and pension payments, certain distributions from trusts, and unemployment compensation. Unearned income includes amounts produced by assets your child obtained with earned income, such as an interest on a savings account into which you deposited wages. So basically, the kiddie tax was put out there originally in order to stop wealthy people from transferring assets out of their name to their children's name because the associated revenue, whether it was interest, dividends or capital gains, would be taxed at lower rates. Now, prior to 2018, if the child had income subject to the kiddie tax, it was taxed at the parent's marginal income tax rate. In other words, the highest rate the parents were paying on their own return. In 2018, the law was changed to read the tax would be based on trust tax rates. Now, the importance here is that trust tax rates in 2018 were... 10 percent for taxable income between zero and two thousand five hundred and fifty dollars 24 percent for income not exceeding nine thousand one hundred and fifty dollars 35 percent for income not exceeding twelve thousand five hundred dollars and 37 on anything on any income over twelve thousand five hundred dollars by contrast income tax rates for individuals filing jointly in 2018 were 10% on the first 19050 of taxable income, 12% on income up to 77400 22% on income up to 165000 24% on income up to $315,000, and 32% on income up to 400000 and so on. Single-payer income tax rates were the same rates, however, the thresholds were 50% of the married filing joint rates. In other words, the brackets were... 9525 for the 10% bracket, then 38700 for the 12% bracket, 825 um for the 22% bracket, 1575 for the 24% bracket, and 200000 for the 32% bracket. I didn't even get into the 35% and 37% brackets. But my point here is to show that by using the trust tax brackets, taxpayers reach the higher levels of taxation far quicker than reporting using their parents' income tax brackets. The SECURE Act restored the calculation to using the parents' income tax brackets and not trust income tax brackets. Again, um, that's something that's, that's very important to look at because as I said, uh, the tax rates were much, much higher on, on, on children. Now, repeal of the Affordable Care Act's taxes. The Secure Act also repealed three health care taxes originally enacted by the provisions of the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare. The taxes repealed were the excise tax on certain high-cost employer plans, known as, cattle, as the Cadillac tax, the medical device tax, and the annual fee on health insurance providers. Now, I want to go over some other new provisions of the SECURE Act. Now, although I cover each of these provisions in more detail in a previous podcast, I want to highlight the new provisions added by the SECURE Act. Most of these provisions affect the retirement plan arena. And the provisions are the first one is the elimination of the ability to stretch required minimum distributions or RMDs. RMDs are the amount of money required to be withdrawn from retirement accounts once individuals reach a certain age. Generally, this age was 70 and a half. Now it is 72, and I'm going to go over that in a minute. The amount of required minimum distribution to be taken is based on an individual's retirement account balance divided by their life expectancy, which is calculated by using IRS tables. If an individual passed away, beneficiaries could use their own ages to stretch the income distributions over a longer period in time. In other words, since a beneficiary may be younger, their life expectancy would be longer and they were able to take income more slowly and pay the income tax over many years. The new law requires non-spouse beneficiaries with few exceptions to take the retirement money within 10 years after the death of the um, person who was already subject to RMDs. Now, Some other changes the age to begin RMDs, as I just alluded to, was raised from 70 and a half to 72 years of age. There is no longer an age limit for taxpayers to be allowed to contribute to a traditional IRA. Formerly, taxpayers could not contribute to a traditional IRA after age 70 and a half. Distributions from retirement plans before age 59 and a half of up to $5,000 for the birth or adoption of a child will not be subject to 10% early withdrawal penalty. Again, generally, when you take money out of a retirement plan before age 59 and a half, you incur not only a federal income tax and very possibly a state income tax, you also incur a 10% early withdrawal penalty. There are some exceptions. And again, one that was added here is that you can take out up to $5,000 from a retirement plan for the birth of your child or the adoption of your child, as long as it's within one year of either the birth or the adoption. And the important thing to remember here is that each spouse can do this. So a married couple can take out literally $10,000 for the birth of a child or for an adoption of a child. Taxpayers are now allowed to take $10,000 out as a lifetime maximum from a 529 plan and use it to pay the principal and or interest of a qualified education loan. A taxpayer is also allowed a lifetime $10,000 limit for each sibling in order to pay the principal interest of a qualified education loan. So if you're somebody who has a qualified education loan, again, you're allowed to take out $10,000 from a 529 plan and use it to pay either the principal and or interest of your own loan. In addition, you can do the same thing for any siblings. So if you have two siblings, you can take $30,000 out, $10,000 for your education loan and $10,000 for each of your siblings' education loans. Now, most retirement plans, uh, this is is a good one for business. Most retirement plans adopted prior to 2020, although they were not required to be funded before year-end, had to be established before year-end. There were some exceptions. You could set up a SEP plan after year end and there were some other plans that you could play around with. But the vast majority of retirement plans uh, had to be adopted before December 31st, if you were December 31st year end, even though they may not be funded until uh, September or October, depending on on your situation and if your return was on extension. Uh, Now, the, the way it works is you have until the extended due date, assuming that you're on extensions, otherwise it would just be the normal due date, to not only fund the plans, but to extend the plans. So in conclusion, what I'd like to say is that um, the SECURE Act provided significant changes to the tax laws affecting individuals. And again, this is a recap of what I feel are the most significant of these changes. There are definitely others that might affect you. Something else to consider is that these extender provisions, as I mentioned before, allow you to amend your 2018 income tax return, if beneficial to you. And because of these reasons, I urge you, as always, to consult with a tax professional well-versed with the new law. Thanks again for listening to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. If you could please head over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes or Spotify and leave me a five-star rating and write a review. Also please connect with me on social media. If there are any tax or accounting related topics you would like me to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. If you are that small business owner or entrepreneur that really wants to learn more about how to minimize your tax liability and maximize your income. Just head over to www.jeffcpaworld.com and I'll see you over there. Have a great day.